0: almost like no matter how much we did all summer, because we worked like crazy all summer, now you're just feeling this tension and this like (gasps) keeping your head above water, even though you know you worked all summer on stuff, it just wasn't enough. Hi everyone, my name is Vicki Saldala. I'm the Director for the Bilingual ESOL Department in Broward County, Florida, which is in Fort Lauderdale. So we teach by the beach as we say out here is our little slogan. Um, this is my 32nd year as an educator. I have been a classroom teacher. I have been a district level facilitator, supporting teachers. And when I moved to Broward County and I transitioned to here from Miami-Dade County, Um, I became the director for the bilingual ESOL department, and I've been in this position for approximately 17 years. Um, It's a position that I absolutely love, um, having the opportunity to engage with teachers, with administrators, with parents, but most importantly with our students and advocating for them and their their necessity and their needs to have um, an appropriate and comprehensible education. Um, In Broward County, we are the sixth largest district in the nation. We are the second largest in the state of Florida. We have over 270,000 students, Uh, 32 of those are English language learners, uh, which is about 12% of our district. We have close to 220 schools in our district, about 89 of those also being charter schools. I love working here. Um, I love the diversity that there is in South Florida. And like I shared, I loved making an impact on children. Um, I'm a proud mom of two beautiful daughters, uh, one who is a civil engineer and another one who is a frontline worker. She is a nurse in Nashville. And most recently, I became a grandmother of a beautiful little girl named Sophia Victoria, who is right now two months old. So that kind of wraps up who I am and the district that I serve.
1: Well, Vicki Saldala, thank you so much for joining us from Broward County. I feel uh, very nostalgic speaking with you because I felt like I needed a second home down there for a while, I did so much <laughs> training down there. It's good to see you even though it's over Zoom and thanks for joining us.
0: Thank you for having us, Steve. Yes, you guys have been instrumental in the um, platform and, and getting it off and running here. We have done amazing work with Elevation in the last six years. When we rolled out Elevation in Broward, it was definitely new, Uh, going to an electronic platform from doing paperwork for so many years. But you know what, we went all in. We did about 10 trainings in one week. We trained about 700 people, uh, but we were gung-ho and Elevation was just so instrumental in having a successful implementation.
1: Yeah, well I'll admit I, I I started I think one of my first trainings was down there in Broward and I was highly intimidated by the number <laughs> of people uh that were there and the team that you had sort of watching and making sure that everything was running yeah. smoothly. But it, it it uh it didn't take me long to realize that you're a great big extended family down there and just such a great group of people. I really um I have a lot of great memories down there in Broward. I actually miss miss traveling down there from the cold northeast sometimes. So
0: And you miss a little Cuban coffee, maybe?
1: I do miss a little cuba coffee. I miss a lot of things. Yeah, for sure. Someday we'll get back down when this whole thing is behind us. Absolutely. Um, which is a good transition into what we're going to discuss today as part of the uh, equity in action um, in this Together docu series. Thank you again for joining us um, from Broward to represent a really important district. So um just want to start with what is your, we're, we're in the second week of August here. Do you all have a plan for going back to school at this point? It happens soon.
0: Yes, so Broward County worked furiously all throughout the summer and basically since March 16, like every other district in this nation, to survey our families, survey our students, get feedback from the community, and so our school board has finally made a decision that we will uh, return to school on August 19 in an e-learning format, and that will be for the first quarter. After the end of the first quarter, uh, or We will be evaluating throughout. And as the end of the first quarter comes to to fruition, then our district will decide what our next model for learning will be. But we will be all e-learning for the first quarter.
1: Yeah, and that seems to be a pretty common thing. I've talked to a lot of folks. It seemed like a month or two ago, uh many districts were going to go this blended approach but I think through a variety of surveys like you mentioned and just realizing perhaps that teachers would just have so much to plan for in that scenario that maybe the remote was better so you're in good company there
0: yes and our superintendent superintendent Runsey, who has been on national platforms just as recently as last week has been very vocal about the safety of our students in Broward County Uh, For a while there, even though we were going to e-learning, there was a possibility of bringing back our our exceptional students to our brick and mortar schools because they are the students with the highest need at this moment. Uh, But considering that Florida's situation of where we are with the pandemic is very uh, concerning, our superintendent decided against that. And at this moment, no students will be returning.
1: Yeah, I, you know I was just reading in, in Edweek this morning, and I think of the 74 as well, but there's a particular yes. article in the Edweek that, Cor- that Corey Mitchell wrote um, that that is a trend that students, English learners and, and uh, students with special needs are going back in a lot of places. I think I was reading about Albemarle, Albemarle and um, I know Virginia is doing that as well, and, you know but you have to look at the specific situations, and that's why we were really interested in having you on from Florida because your situation is um, not great right now in terms of the the, the virus.
0: Well, when we made, um, our, our board asked us all to submit plans, and of course, our exceptional students were the priority of the students that will return, as well as our, our early childhood students, our pre-K students. And then the third group of students we were considering were our English language learners. I was very vocal about the fact that many of our English language learners are coming from homes that uh, the parents are essential workers and they are home alone. Uh, they have in many cases, no internet access, but most importantly to us too, is the fact that these students need the opportunity to practice oral language. Right. And at home, they are probably, and mostly speaking their first language, which is okay, because mm-hmm. we want them to continue gaining language regardless, but everything that they had progressed and while they were in school with us, being at home and probably not having anyone to practice their English with, I'm scared that they have probably digressed a little bit, and I feel that they need that opportunity. So, we have been focusing in our professional learning opportunities with teachers, giving them resources, and really driving home the message that their e learning courses, their Canvas, when they have meetings with them virtually, to really practice that oral language with the students, give them the opportunity to practice it so that they can um, once again feel comfortable. With speaking in English,
1: yeah, uh, you know that's that that's again another common sort of conversation that we're having. How do you get that interactive um, instruction in an online learning environment? We'll get into that in a little bit. Um, I, I just I, I want to ask you, you know in terms of what your your plan is, um, obviously based on the research and the current situation, um and you all have done a good job, I think, surveying parents and families and teachers as others have. How do you anticipate this plan of going back remotely um, affecting equitable instruction and services for English learners? I mean, you just talked about the, the oral piece. It sounds like you're, you're making plans to make sure that that's happening. Um, but what's your, you know, positively or negatively, negatively how do you think it's going to affect them?
0: So there's different factors when you ask a question like that, right? Because just like general ed students, just like any of our students, our students are on a curve. We have very affluent English language learners and we have English language learners who are from low socioeconomic economic background. So that question can vary, right? So our affluent families are very uh, fortunate that they may have access to Wi-Fi. They may have their own laptops, um, even though our district is providing the devices, but they have more resources for their children. Where our families from our low socioeconomic backgrounds are the ones we worry with just as much. Uh, when this started in March, my team was doing a lot of work helping these families apply for free internet access. You know, even the simple task of just applying for a, a free service was hard for them because they didn't have documentation, they didn't have picture IDs, uh, they didn't understand how to fill out forms. So my staff really had to walk through that process with them, Um, getting access to meals. You know, they didn't understand that they can go to the school and still drive by and pick up their meals. So really trying to connect with our community, whether it's through us, through our community stakeholders, getting down to the level of our families and finding these families who may not have email addresses or may not have working telephones getting to these communities and getting these resources for them. So our work right now has really been about continuing that message, right? Everything that we send home, making sure that it's translated for our families. Um, it doesn't all have to be just posted on a website and sent via an email. We are sending text messages. We are making phone calls. Uh, just this week, we will be offering four sessions of what we're calling Parent University for elementary learning, secondary learning, exceptional student education. And next Monday night, there'll be a session exclusive to English language learner families. So at that's the moment that hopefully we will get as many of them as possible online, where we will talk to them about what are the free resources, how does your child log into Canvas? How do they access their content? So we're trying to find all possible ways through social media, and communication that we can get to these families.
1: Yeah, it sounds like like many others, you're you're exploring a wide range of uh, options and using those options to try to connect with families, however you can, from something sort of as simple and as uh, maybe novel as the U.S. mail right. to something more sort of uh, modern like like social media. But it strikes me as you were speaking that so, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like so much of this. Uh, is based on establishing a solid relationship, a trusting and understanding relationship with families, particularly those who may be afraid to go and associate with the school because, as you said, they may be undocumented.
0: Right. And so our teachers are vital to this process, right? Because we are district and we're sitting in our district office. And even though we are sending information down as much as we can, it's critical that we also get it in the hands of our teachers because the teachers are the ones that are really making those connections with those families and their students. They are the ones that can get to those families that we at the higher level through a text message might not be able to reach, but they, they have that uh, connection. So just like you shared, at this moment in time, I think for everybody, the personal relationships are so critical you know, the social, emotional well-being of our students. Like I shared, many of our families are those essential workers and these students are home alone. So how are we ensuring that they're getting online, that they're waking up in the morning, that they're having some kind of a meal before they log on to their e-learning class?
1: Yeah, great questions. And I'm curious to see how that all goes as we move on. That might be something that we kind of catch up on uh, in, in in a later episode. I want to take a step back and just sort of zoom out a little bit and ask you a pretty simple question that probably doesn't have a simple answer. Um, what is top of mind for you right now? What is, what is something that I've said to everybody that I hope nothing is keeping anyone up at night because we all need to rest. But if there is one thing that is, what, what is it? What's on your mind right now?
0: I think what we just talked about right now, how do we ensure that we have touched every family that we possibly can? We have the families that are working in the fields. We have the families that are, you know, driving buses, those essential workers. How are we getting to those families so that they know everything that is available to them as a free resource, that there, there are meals for them, that their child will be going to school? You know, many of our families culturally believe that school or education is left to the school. Right, right. And- you know, I bring up my child at home, I will educate them, I will discipline them, but you do school, right? Well, we have to change that mindset, because it's not about that anymore. Now school is in your home. So what role do you play as a parent in helping your child at home? So a part of our parent university, we're going to be talking to them about tips um, that they should be doing at home, like I just shared, making sure your child gets up at a certain time, making sure they have a meal, Uh, that they're logging in? What does that look like when we say logging into the computer? How can you check? So giving those parents those tips that whether they're at home with their child or they're at work and their child is doing work alone at home, how can they follow up at the end of the day when they get home?
1: You know, my wife and I talk about this all the time. I have four children at home and they're between the ages of eight and almost 16. And I was a teacher for 17 years. I've been in education my entire life. I taught high school. So, you'd think that I'd be better at understanding what it means, like you said, when somebody logs in. How does that look different from something else? Like, how do you make sure that they all get up at a certain time? I mean, it's, and I have the luxury of being able to work from home. Um, And it's still a significant challenge. And I think the nice thing now is that everybody, almost everybody, is seeing that. They're experiencing that at their particular place, whether they're lucky enough, like me, to be able to be at home and have a job that's flexible. or if they're in a situation where they're a frontline worker and they have to figure something out, and what that's doing, I think, is shining a huge spotlight um, on the importance of family engagement. But that becomes more complicated, and uh, what we're trying the story that we're trying to tell, you know, when you're dealing with multilingual families who are uh, dealing with a whole host of other issues. So I really appreciate you bringing that up. I think it's crucial.
0: And we have to also remember, just like I shared a moment ago, our language learner families are on this on this array, right? We have the ones that are affluent, who have educations from their countries. They may not know English, but they have an education versus those that are here that um, lack a basic education or foundational skills. Those families, it's going to be a bigger struggle for them, right? And just like you, just like myself, um, I don't have little kids at home, but yourself, we are fortunate to be working from home, but now you got to juggle work with children that are trying to do schoolwork, right? So how do you find that balance and how do we help our teachers understand that there has to be a little flexibility now too about how that looks like. So here in Broward, one of the options on the table that we are uh, working with is a morning session and an afternoon session. So there were the parents had a choice. Do you want your child to come to a traditional morning you know, 8 to 2.30 day, or do you want an afternoon school from 2.30 to, I think it's eight or nine o'clock. So giving the parents that ability to have different schooling schedules
1: Yeah. And this is another one of the, I think the silver linings that will come out of this. I mean, having that flexibility would be just so great for so many reasons. We tend to build the school year around our own schedules, of course, was built, you know, the factory setting years ago. So, uh, some of that stuff is changing that stuff that just hasn't, you know, been able to change yet. Um, all right. So, so you have a plan in place that, uh, you're going to go remote and you're going to be kind of, uh, And for at least the first quarter, and you'll be monitoring how that whole situation goes uh, for everybody in the district and you specifically for your English learners. How how prepared are you to pivot if you need to? Like if things, when things change um, and and something unpredictable comes up, um, what's your plan for that?
0: So I don't think we've changed what we do on a normal basis. If we were back in a brick and mortar setting right now, we're still doing professional development. I think what has changed is the format in which we're delivering everything, right? So um, for us in our program, we have ESOL contacts, which are those teachers that oversee compliance as well as you know monitoring student progress academically. So we just spent a whole week last week training them Of course, what what would normally take a two-day, a two-full-day training became four days, three hours every day in an online virtual setting. Uh, Elevation was phenomenal in helping us train the teachers on the platform. It it takes a lot of work, right, Um, to make sure you keep people engaged and focused. But I think that if we were to pivot and be ready to come back, we would just pick up we would just pick up of where we were because we've done everything that we would normally do to get our school year started. Teachers have been taking massive amount of trainings all summer on Canvas, Teams. I think the beauty of this will be if we were to come back to a brick and mortar all of a sudden and just pivot, now we have extra resources on our hands. Now we know how to use Teams or Zoom, whatever you know, you're know you using in your district. Um, things that, conversations even with the higher-ups at the district office have been, wow, I don't have to physically get in my car and drive to a meeting anymore now that we've figured out how to do it this way, right? So I think we're going to be able to save a lot of time um, and travel and and find different ways to reach a larger audience now that we've discovered this new setting. And, And I think in a prior conversation you and I were having, You know, it's been said and we've had some some colleagues share that we have gone from the Flintstones era to the Jetsons era really quick Um, and we've made our mistakes, but we're really discovering a whole new way to uh, engage our students.
1: Yeah, another silver lining through the affordances of, you know, particularly PD. I've heard that a lot. You know, the teachers are finding PD is actually a lot better. It's more tailored to what they need. They can get to it when they need to. There's not that drive. I mean, Broward's a big district. Sometimes you go drive, there's a fair amount of traffic, you know, so it just cuts down on some of the stress once you understand that this is the way that we're doing things. But I think without this happening, people would still be a little bit maybe resistant to online. Learning. I mean I know I was at training for elevation in particular, I much preferred to be in person. I much preferred to be in person, but now speaking with members of the team they're like no, we kind of have it figured out now in the online uh training and it just makes it so much easier for a lot it of people.
0: It does, but there's nothing like the personal touch.
1: You you, you <laughs> yeah, you you took the word right out of my mouth. I agree. <laughs> I will I just, just going to say I will always prefer to like I said earlier to be uh, to be with people. So hopefully yes. that will happen again soon. I'm not saying that it shouldn't happen. I just think there's, as you mentioned, there's some affordances here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one thing you mentioned at the beginning uh, of that was you said, you know, we're, we're basically doing the same things. We just have to do it in a different way. Right. Um, and that that's interesting because one of the things that I sort of have been hearing a lot, and I think I was actually guilty of maybe saying it a few times, I'm sure you could go back to a couple of the podcast episodes that I didn't hear this and I'll admit it and I'll own it. I think I've said that there's really no best practices right now. Like, how do you figure out how to go back to school in this situation? But that's kind of the prevailing thinking. I'm starting to think a little bit differently about that. Um, Would you challenge that notion as well, that there's just no best practices kind of based on what you said is that we're doing the same thing, just differently?
0: I'd say so. But I'll tell you, there are days that I wake up and I have... I think if I had to get dressed now and go to the office, I kind of get this little butterfly in my stomach. Like I'm nervous, right? I'm nervous to have to go back to to that setting. And I don't know, putting the pandemic fear aside, just coming back again. It's, I've heard people say, I feel like a, a first year teacher again, or I feel like a first year principal again. This is all so very new to us that I think that if we pivoted and all of a sudden it had to come back, you're going to have that anxiety from people again of coming back to that to that environment. Um, I think what we're missing, which is what we need from that environment, is that <clears throat> that social emotional piece, that human touch, that that warmth of being in that setting. The social, you know, we worry about our students and and besides our ELLs, just across the board, there are so many podcasts, blogs, webinars about mental health and well-being. And, and that's what's what's a little scary. And and that would be a reason to really try to get our kiddos back into the buildings so that they can get that social interaction again.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's, there's just no doubt about that. And I think that everybody agrees that the best place for kids to be is in school. It's just trying to figure out what's actually best given the, um, the situation with the virus, which doesn't want to cooperate with us. No. And we just have to roll with it. Um, you know, one thing that I'd really like to do in this series is, you know, we're sort of opening the door to your office. You're, you're working with your team behind the scenes quite a bit and doing great work. Um, and as you said, your teachers are generally the ones, you know, who are out in the field and, and chatting with students and their families. Um, but I'd, I'd love to hear from you, about this idea versus kind of myths and reality. I mean, we're bombarded every day on the news and the media about you know what how what we're going to do with schools. And I mean, I've seen recently on social media, people are sharing with me you know these videos that kids are taking at schools and it's crowded hallways and um, other ones are students are going back and they're getting COVID and and it just it, as a former teacher and somebody who's in education, it just it kind of drives me nuts because you know that that's probably an isolated situation. Um, what, is there something that, that you, like a myth that you would like to kind of debunk that we're hearing in the media that from your perspective as an EL administrator and somebody, a director and somebody who's working with teachers and students and families would like to kind of challenge?
0: I think the myth that everybody needs to return back to a school setting. That's not necessarily true, right? Some kids are doing great in this setting. Um, Some students thrive in this virtual setting because they do well in this learning environment. Um, I think that certain populations do need to come back at a certain point when it is safe because they have certain needs that this setting is not going to ever be able to give them. And whether that's our exceptional students, whether that is our English language learners, whether that is students from a low socioeconomic background and they don't even have a label of ELL or ESC, they just, they, they, they need to function in a school, in a home setting, you know, they're home alone, there's no one to help them with the schoolwork. Those students might need to go back. So there are certain populations. I feel that given a, a secure, safe environment so that we are not exposed to COVID or, you know that that we're ready to bring them back. Those students need to come back. They they're just basic needs that they're not going to get at home. Um, but again, safety is of the biggest concern because, like I shared earlier, our superintendent knows and is well aware, um, and he's listening to our parents, who especially the parents of special population students but they need to come back to school. And there was a time there where we were going to bring those students back basically about two weeks ago. It's changed students, so fast. Yeah, they were scheduled to come back. And from one day to the next, he just made that decision that he was not willing to risk any child getting possibly sick just to bring them back, that we would find the way to continue educating them and supporting them at home he was not willing to put the child's risk, and and I have to support what the superintendent is saying. All it takes is that one child to get sick, and then everything just falls, just kind of falls to the wayside at that point, right? So um, the the notion that everybody has to come back, not necessarily true.
1: Right. Yeah. Thanks for bringing that up. I think that's hard to say for a lot of people, you know, but it's, it is. I mean, you see, I see students, I mean, I think my own, if I think about my own kids, they're, they're, there's four of them and some of them are more successful than others in an online setting. I think that all like to go back just their own personalities. But speaking with, you know, friends and family, I know lots of students are thriving in this environment. There's the taking away distractions that the students may have had. They're allowing them to work at their own pace. Maybe more importantly, it's allowing them a sense of like freedom and autonomy that they didn't have before. Um, and giving teachers those tools to equip them with that while still providing them structure. This is another topic I could talk about for hours.
0: Uh And so, well, and we have students who are very introverted and don't like the social setting and don't feel that they want to be in a school setting. And then, like you said, they'll thrive in this setting because they, they like to be alone, but can still function and learn this way.
1: Right. Right. Um, Okay, I have two more questions for you, and they're a little bit different than the other ones. The 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 first one is, I'm wondering if there's, like, a, in the last couple weeks, a story or an anecdote that you can share about something that's happened in, in, in your sort of day-to-day that has either inspired you or challenged your thinking or had you concerned that you could share with us.
0: So I think going back to the message I've been saying about students who are home alone because their families are working, Um, Over the summer, we offer a summer language enrichment camp for some of our elementary schools. And um, I had a conversation with one of the principals because she was sharing that she had one of her families had reached out to her and they were they needed help with completing the survey. Mind you, we translate everything here in Broward County. Um, Our top languages are Spanish, Haitian, Creole, and Portuguese. So every survey, every document goes out in those languages to families. But that doesn't always mean families understand what is being asked of them in those surveys, right? So sometimes they need help and they'll call us, can you help explain that to me? This concept of e-learning or blended learning, those are all new topics for these families. So this particular family had reached out to this principal uh, because it was time for them to complete their survey. And they were very concerned because they were an undocumented family. And so they want their children to return to school because the kids are home alone and they knew that the kids would be better off in school when it came to getting an education. But they were scared that if their child got sick at school, they have no insurance. Mm. They have no means to take those children to a medical site and then the fear of being undocumented and possibly being returned to their country. So they were very torn between... Do we want our children to to stay home or do we send them back to school and risk getting sick, possible deportation and everything that will fall below that? So they made the choice of checking off that they'd rather stay home. That was their choice because when they put it on that weight, it was safer for them to just stay home and go that route. So that. That story there is the one that I keep repeating behind my head because out of 32,000 English language learners, I don't know how many are undocumented because we can't capture that data. But even if it's one, a thousand, five hundred, it doesn't matter. There are families like that out there and they could be affluent, but still be here undocumented, right? And have the same fears. So I, for me, it's, up to me as the director of the department as well as the voice of my staff members to continue advocating for our students continuing to ensure that teachers schools principals are doing everything in their power to make content comprehensible for our ells Um, we have created webinars we created a canvas course with just select tools and teachers are overwhelmed don't don't mind i mean they have so much on their plate learning this new system and learning how to teach in this format. So we're trying to keep it very simple. What are some basic tools that you need to ensure that content is comprehensible for L's, right? Google Translate, Text Talk to communicate with your family, Flipgrid, um, Immersive Reader is a phenomenal tool for them. So we're just focusing in on those things that will give you your immediate a success for our ELLs right and like you said once we start rolling and we start seeing and and my teachers are so great here in Broward and they'll start reaching out and sharing so we kind of want to do the same like you're doing here maybe capture some of these teachers uh, sharing their best practices to share with others
1: yeah I just saw this morning on uh, Twitter I think I was a little late on the draw I kind of shut it down over the weekend but um uh, Eric Rosson, is that how I pronounce his last name? Yeah. I saw him put something up uh, and Eric, somebody I know well from training down there for sure. But I think he put up uh, that maybe on August 11th, there was something on a lot of the tools that you were just mentioning. It sounded like, correct me if I'm wrong here, I'm going on a limb, but it sounded like that was something that he wanted to share with, the greater community, not necessarily yes. just Broward, which is awesome. It's so good. So
0: the Canvas course we created, we made it a public course so that our parents can go in there as well. And within the course, we have a little blue tab for parent resources. And so what we've done is everything that goes out to parents in multiple languages, uh, we've tried to create many of them into a brain shark. So how to access Canvas, how to log on, single sign on, those types of things. Because Not everybody can do well with just reading it. I am a very visual person. I have to see it. Yeah, same here. So my team created PowerPoints with voiceovers, actual videos of somebody downloading the Google Translate on their phone. And so this way, the parents have this access to this link. They can go there, and everything that's translated is in one place for them. Because
1: navigating websites are very difficult sometimes. <laughs> I've, said it, I've said it a thousand times in the last month. You can't just, and I've been guilty of doing this, and many people have, you can't just send teachers or parents or students a list of resources and say, here you go. You have to really walk them through it. And, the uh, you know, less is more, um, but you have such a great team, and it's so great that you're sharing that information um, with, like I said, with the greater uh, community. Absolutely, um, And I just also want to step back and say, I appreciate you really sort of peeling the layers back on that undocumented family that you, the example that you gave and saying that no matter if it's one or 500 or a thousand, but you know that that scenario is is replaying around the country all the time. And I don't think we think enough about it. And I just, you know, I know it's something you think deeply about and your team, but my my hope with this is that we can share those stories because that's a heartbreaking decision for a family to have to make. Um, You know, that they're concerned more about not being able to get the health care that they need if their student is exposed by going to school. And so they choose an option that's not necessarily the best for them. Um, Just really compelling. And I appreciate you bringing that up. Um, One more question. And this is a a lighter kind of question, but I think it's important to ask. I've been asking everyone. You're probably one of the most passionate people I know doing this work. Uh, And anyone who sort of follows you on Twitter or knows you, I think would agree with that. Certainly every, all my colleagues at Elevation. Um, And you're working really, really hard. It's a miracle that you found time to chat with us. And I'm ultra appreciative that that you did. Where are you getting your inspiration from? How do you keep going?
0: Well, I'm going to say that you just alluded to it a second ago. My team, I have an amazing team. Uh, My staff consists of 45 staff members Uh, but the 45 staff members are not all ELL workers. Um, I have a team of interpreters, translators. Uh, We oversee world languages, dual languages, along with our English language learners. And we have a parent outreach office for our bilingual families. This group motivates me. They inspire me. Um, Just when I think I've run out of ideas, I put it back out there. Um, And what I love about them is they trust me. <laughs> I think that's important, right? That they trust their leader, that they trust me um, and the decisions that I make. They always have this running joke that when I meet with them and I say, I have this idea, they're like, oh gosh, here we go. <laughs> because I'll have an idea. I just don't have it sorted. And I, don't, I, and I just feel that I don't have to come to the table with it. I have the idea. I lay it out there and they will grab it. They will grab it and they will run and they will make it their own. And um, they have their own ideas too. And we all grab them and run with it. But my inspiration, my motivation is really them. They keep me on my toes and they, they keep, cause we're all tired, Steve. We're all tired. And, and, you know, when you sit in this type of a chair, there's a lot of bureaucracy that goes with this position um, or higher, you know, executive positions and, you lose sight sometimes of the work. So I love when I can stay in touch with my principals, my families, my students, um, because that's what keeps me grounded to why I do what I do, right? So in after March, we had a lot of events from March to June that were face-to-face events with our students. But you know what? We made it work. We made them virtual. We had parent nights with the library where our families actually come in the evenings, they get a meal and they spend an hour with a storyteller and they walk away with three books every night for a total of four weeks with 12 books. All that was happening in that short time span, but we made it happen. We worked with the library, families didn't get their meals, but they did drive by the library. They got their bags with 12 books and every night for four weeks or not every night, once a week for four weeks. They joined online with the storyteller and you could see they would turn on their cameras and the kids were so excited. And And I tried my best to join as many of those sessions to give me that umph again, right? To keep me going, to keep pushing me forward because they are the reason we do. If it wasn't for them, none of us would, would be here and have this opportunity. So um, my team is my inspiration and the families we serve are definitely an inspiration.
1: Yeah, and coming from Broward, you have obviously a really large team, but I've heard that from a lot of folks, it, whether it's a team of three or 45, you know, uh, you have to be able to trust one another and rely on each other. So uh, that's And make it. the work fun. <laughs> and make the work fun, which you all are experts at. You've seen you know? us
0: on Twitter with our little Zoom meetings, huh? <laughs> yeah,
1: work, work hard, play hard, which is something, it's something that I can certainly get on board with. Well, Vicki Saldella, thank you so much for joining us on this first sort of baseline episode uh, of the In This Together docu-series. We'll check back in with you in a few weeks and see um, where things are in Broward. Um, but uh, you're, you're an inspiration to us all. Thank you for everything that you do uh, and the work that you're doing on behalf of uh, your English learners there in Broward County.
0: Thank you, Steve. Stay safe.